Hey everyone, it's Saturday, March 6th, 2021. Welcome to episode 56 of the Ginger and the Beard podcast. I'm AJ, aka the Ginger. And I'm Reese, aka the Beard. And on this week's show, we are joined by Andy Rathman, brewmaster of the St. George Brewing Company in Hampton, Virginia. Thank you for joining us, Andy. How's it going? All going good, thanks. Awesome. Yeah, we're so glad you could join us today. And we're excited to learn more about your background, of course, and obviously the St. George Brewing Company, which we understand is one of the oldest microbreweries in Hampton Roads. Is that correct? Uh, pretty close. Uh, we are the oldest, uh, second right. oldest in Virginia. Oh, wow. Wow, that's awesome. So uh, you guys opened doors in 96, was it? Uh, the original BOP was in 96. Um, uh, my current, Our current owner, uh, Bill, he took over in 98. We kind of use right now 98 as our anniversary date. Uh, but yes. Awesome. So 98 wow. is when you officially became, when you, when you transitioned from a BOP over to a microbrewery? Actually, that was be 99. Okay. And, uh, and actually, that's when I joined the company. Oh, wow. Got Longest yeah. job I'd ever had. I bet, <laughs> yeah. That's significant. 20 years, <laughs> 21 years. Well, 22 years then, yeah, actually. Mm -hmm. Wow. Math is hard. Math is hard. Especially. I'm glad you took that question. This early. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early for math. We're not used to talking on podcasts this early in the afternoon. Usually, we're night owls, but... But yeah, we're glad we could get you on, Andy. It's 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 a it's an honor to talk to you. And after kind of reading through your pedigree and what your kind of experience and background, you've got a ton of it. And we're we're really looking forward to diving into it. And uh, you know, when I when I reached out on Instagram and got a response, I was like super excited because St. George Brewing is actually, you know, believe it or not, one of the first craft beers or craft breweries that I remember because I, I worked when I was in college. I think it was about 20, 2011 or something like that. I was like 21 years old in a kitchen in a restaurant, a little, a little mom and pop restaurant. And the vivid memory I have is that this number one, this beer tap handle. So uh, I'm in marketing. So I'm a very visual artsy sort of not artsy, but like visual person. So that just stuck with me forever. I was like, wow, these like crazy looking dragon handles are so awesome. And I, I'm sure I probably had one of the beers when it was on tap because I was 21. And I was excited to drink whatever I was allowed to. And uh, so, you know, St. George has always been a, a brewery that stuck out to me. And one of the first ones I remember. So really quick, before we get too far into it, I actually wanted to ask, like, who makes those tap panels? Because they're if you guys haven't seen them out there, you should look up right now St. George Brewing uh, tap panels and check them out. But do you do you know who makes those? Um, a company called Sculpture Comps Concepts out on the West Coast, California, I think. Wow. And we hooked up with them from the very beginning and uh, designed up the, the Dragon logo. Uh, we not everybody recognizes the iconic relationship between the dragon and St. George. Uh, and a lot of people come back and ask, but there's a lot of dragon freaks out there that like them and, and people who like St. George. And uh, they're just really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, the, the art style overall of, of, you know, I know you guys went through a rebranding recently and some new visuals and things like that, which look awesome. So again, I encourage everybody to check those out, but the, the handles themselves almost have like this little bit of a cult following on their own. It seems like I looked up there, people are selling them on eBay. You're finding them all like being like sold and traded secondhand. So it's, it's pretty cool to, to kind of research some of that stuff. But, but anyways, beyond just the looks and the tap uh, handle, we're excited to learn again more about how you got into all this. 
yeah, what, definitely. Do you, what do you want to know? Well, I guess first off, um, you already mentioned BOP, so um, we kind of want to get into that. So in doing some research on how St. George was founded, we learned that uh, the president, Bill Spence, learned of a brew on premise in Virginia Beach uh, when he then bought stock um, and it kind of kicked off his entry into breweries. Uh, we're curious what like what brew on premise actually is. Can you help us? Uh... So a brew on premise is a place where people can come in and make their own beer. So home brewers or a group uh, party or an office kind of thing. You come in, you look at the recipe book, you pick out a style you like, uh, brew it up uh, a couple hours, uh, enjoying yourself. Uh, the, uh, uh, we would take care of the equipment, take care of the beer while it's fermenting and finishing. And when it was ready, we call them up and you come back up there and, and package it up. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's so awesome. Do they still have those? That sounds like a fun night to me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think there's, and I, I want to say Leesburg has one. But I'm not 100 uh, sure. No, uh, you're you're actually. I don't know if it's Leesburg, but one of my coworkers was actually telling me about his experience doing that earlier. Uh, well, late last year. I don't know if it was it was Leesburg, so I'll have to definitely look at that. But I know there's one in this area somewhere. Uh, and we still have customers that used to come in and brew, come to the brewery here now, and uh, uh, and they're old friends. So nice, man. That's awesome. Well, uh, Reese and I have very minimal homebrewing experience with a uh, craft a brew beer kit, which <laughs> it turned yeah. out okay after some trial and error. But um, that sounds fun, though, to actually have some people there who know what they're doing to kind of help you along with it and then take care of it after you're done. You know, it's fermenting and all that stuff. But uh, and clean. Yeah, up. that cleanup's a big thing. And, oh, yeah, we know. Yeah, we learned <laughs> <laughs> that. And um having the equipment too. I mean, that's mm -hmm. like the biggest thing, you know, we're, we're brewing out of little one gallon carboys. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, Oh no, you could sink a small fortune into home brewing equipment. Yeah. People have. Yeah. Yeah. I literally, I literally said, I was like, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to get into home brewing. Cause I feel like it might be like a dark, a deep, dark rabbit hole. But fortunately the time investment required in the one, I was like, okay, I don't know if I have the time to do that. But, and I also just was like, okay, this beer that I made is like not even close to what other people are making. So I'm just going to stick with the stuff that people are already really good at and support those guys. <laughs> uh, back in the day when you couldn't get beer or there was only the, the mainstream beers, uh, that was a big part of it that you were able to make your own stuff. Nowadays, there are so many choices out there and so many stores and, yeah, all the different flavors, right? Yep, you can't get through them all. Um, and that'd be my problem with homebrewing is you end up with five gallons of beer and you want to make another one right away and try something else, but first you got to drink that first five gallons and it takes a while. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Um, so you mentioned you've been with St. George since 1999. And again, obviously we've, we've researched your pedigree and like you, it goes way beyond uh, night ten. You've been in. You've been doing this for a long time, and you kind of touched on a little bit homebrewing back in the day, almost out of necessity. So I'm curious: is that kind of what got you interested in brewing oh, no. in general? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I tried homebrewing once uh, back in the day when I was just starting to think about it, and uh, it was a miserable failure. And uh, uh, I don't think I've never tried it again by myself. Wow. Uh, what got me in, in? What got me into it is I was looking for a career change. And I was looking around for something else to do, something different, uh, something hands-on. Uh, and I read in Playboy back in the mid-'80s about a guy in California uh, who opened up the very first uh, brew pub. And it 
it never even occurred to me that somebody could open up their own brewery. It was always the big three that's who made beer. And I go, you can make beer. And I, maybe I should be a brewmaster. And uh, nice. that's where it started. Did wow. you have any? Honestly, I, I like beer. I've always liked beer. So it, it was a pretty, kind of an easy segue into a new career. Well, I got to say, I like beer too, quite a bit. Um, <laughs> did you have I any? I recommend changing, changing your job if you like it though. <laughs> don't do it don't do it no. uh it's long hours it's poor pay it's miserable working conditions uh, it's hot it's cold it's right now it's about 45 degrees in the cellar here and it's typical for winter for us and in the summer it gets up over 100 degrees uh, it's oh, wow. dangerous chemicals it's but it's free beer so yeah it's free beer. <laughs> do it for the free beer <laughs> yeah. there's some passion involved i'm sure right you oh, probably yeah. have some some love for it or or maybe it's the i was wondering if you have any background in like chemistry or something like that because i feel like it's nope no uh, okay uh, i was an electrical engineer uh defense work in a previous life and uh, uh, hated chemistry hated biology um, would have nothing to do with them until i realized oh wait you know you could if you know this stuff you can make beer yeah so i actually ended up teaching myself or sat in a bunch of classes uh to learn uh, those uh, sciences yeah um, that's what we've what's we've come to learn like over the last you know year of interviewing folks and doing research how much these you know different um um i guess uh amino acids and like different all these different you know molecular constructs like affect the outcome of the beer this is absolutely it's like we just learned about amylase last week and uh -huh. researching a, a particular beer and how that um, can help like jumpstart yeast and how it can lead to a drier finish and, and all these different things, like all this crazy, cool, chem crazy chemical, like, um, stuff in the background is, is there's a huge science behind it. Uh, yeah. and certainly in art, but, uh, there's a lot of science behind it. Yeah. That's what it seems like. That said, it's really easy to make beer. It really is easy to make beer. Uh, it's, uh, I like to say it's a little harder to make a good beer, a little harder still to make a consistently good beer. And then harder still to make consistently good beer consistently. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I get lost on my good beers and consistencies. But it's, uh, it makes sense to me. It does, yeah. But beer itself is really easy. Nice. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously, like we said, you know, you've, you've been doing this for a long time. And one of those things is um, on your on the list here of your credentials is that you became a master brewer in England. So we're curious, like, what is it required to, to get that sort of of a title of being a master brewer? Uh, 12 hour essay test. Wow. Uh, they cover everything, you know, engineering, uh, chemistry, mashing, fermentation, malting. It was a bitch. <laughs> uh, but what got me to that point was when I decided I wanted to become a brewer, uh, I decided I have to figure out some way to do that. Uh, I already told you my experiences with home brewing, so that was out. I couldn't become a super home brewer and learn on my own. Uh, I could have got a job in the industry and slowly worked my way up. But the I was in the 30s already, and I did not want to spend another 10 years uh, learning it from somebody else. Uh, but school always worked pretty well for me. So I thought, let's go to, back to school. Uh, there was really nothing in, in the States at the time to teach people how to be a brewer. Uh, the school of school for English brewers was in Edinburgh. 
And uh, that was attractive because they spoke English. However, the out-of-state tuitions were way beyond my capability. Uh, and I was living in Germany at the time, and essentially down the street from where I lived was the school of school of German brewers. And uh, 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 schools are free in Germany, pay some tuition or, and a little registration fee into your books and your living expenses, but other than that, it's free. Wow. And I thought, well, I should become a German brewer. However, before you could apply, they required that you had a year's worth of practical experience. So I quit my job, uh, started knocking on breweries doors, looking to for an apprenticeship. Not one brewery would give me a full year. To my advantage though, they would all give me a couple weeks or a month or two months at every place. And so I worked at big breweries, I worked at little breweries, I worked at brew pubs, I worked uh, uh, malting houses and hop fields and, uh, uh, and really got a broad education. Uh, their apprenticeship programs and their systems over in Europe and Germany are really trained. So they knew that you were there just to learn. Uh, they didn't really pay you much, but in, in trade, you were allowed to ask any stupid questions you wanted. And I asked a lot of them. Thanks. Uh, and, uh, and so how, how long did it take? For me to get my full year, it took a couple of years. Okay. So it was not wow. continuous from one place to another to another. Uh, that was right. I had a, I bought an old VW camper bus and my dog and I would travel from brewery to brewery and camp out in the woods while we were working in a spot. It was the life. I tell you what, Man. I had the time of my life. It was great. Yeah, at the end of the day, you grab some beer and some food for the local pub and go out into the woods and, uh, and just chill and, and go, yeah, I'm living the life. <laughs> oh Man. yeah. That's, that sounds like a, that sounds like a fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I wish I could switch positions with you when you were doing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so so how long did it take to get through the schooling as well uh, when you were in London? So uh, as I was waiting for classes to start uh, at Weinstephan in Germany, uh, I happened to be back in California for a wedding. And UC Davis out there had just started up a program under Michael Lewis, who was a renowned uh, English brewer. Okay. Kind of brew, uh, brewing expert, um, and I thought I owed it to myself to go by and see what they were doing, and smoke serious beer the first time ever in English. And I decided that would probably be the way I would like to go. My German's pretty good, but it's it's tough. And uh, uh, and when you talk about the sciences and and all the uh, unusual words and the scientific knowledge you got to have and be able to ex express it in a different language, I was worried about the. Uh, but English was better. Also, UC Davis was just a year program, while Weinstephan would have been a four-year program. And like I said, I was already in my 30s, and I wasn't sure about spending another four years in school. So I went to Davis, uh, and they were associated with the Institute of Brewing out of London, who came out and gave us our certification exams. So that's how I became an English master brewer. Oh, okay. So so they came, they came to you then, basically? Yeah. Okay. Well, the school was set up. Uh, with the idea that uh, they were going to follow the course line that uh, English brewers would study. Gotcha. So do they teach you like primarily just like English brewing techniques or was it very broad and, and you know, covered multiple different techniques? Uh, American brewing, uh, the big three, uh, German, they, they concentrated more on English styles, uh, but they definitely touched on every style there was. Uh, and, and not just touched on it. It was in depth. It was really detailed and really intense. I have never studied. I've never worked so hard in my life. Wow. 
so I guess on that topic, I, I think this is the right time to ask, like AJ and I were wondering this and, and we try and do a little bit of research, you know, now and then when we find a new beer and, and figure out like, okay, what makes this different than everything else? Um, and we're trying to understand like, you know, what's, what's like the essential difference between like English style brewing versus like German style brewing, because you have like your Marzins and then you have your, um, uh, big heavies, I think brown ales and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the, what's the essential difference there? God. And I know that was one of the questions that you said I should be ready for. And it's, it's <laughs> so involved, the differences. Uh, but when I'm given a tour, uh, I like to start off by saying there's two types of beer, English and German. Uh, German tends to be, when you taste it, it should be clean and crisp. You should taste the malt and the hops and not much else. Uh, uh, English beers tend to be a little bit more complex. The temperatures, the type of yeast to use, uh, create a lot of different esters that do complicate and do uh, uh, make it a little bit more uh, uh, complicated of a beer. So just more more flavor. I would say more more complex notes of you know whatever you name it versus just more um i don't want to say basic but like malt character malt and... yeah, no not really uh so a pale ale um is a obviously an ale or a mild um as is a weizen as is a uh, uh kolsch which is a very mild beer uh, uh, on the other hand uh, lagers could be a pilsner or a helles as well as a bach or uh Another really malty one would be a alt beer. Uh, so the it, malt characteristics, hop characteristics, although German beers tend to have a German hop characteristic or English in English, uh, uh, more uh, fruity on the English side and earthy versus more floral on the German side. Uh, but color, maltiness, hoppiness, it doesn't make a difference. You could have it go both ways on either styles, either types of beer. Okay. It comes down to that fermentation profile, what's developing these tertiary flavors that create this complexity in the beer. Wow. Yeah, I feel like there's like way more questions that like are just over my head right now. I, I, I'm, I'm just like, is it, you know, is it the yeast from those regions? Is it the, is it the malt? Is yes. it? Absolutely, it's the yeast and the temperatures that you ferment. But the yeast are, you pick these yeasts that work best at these temperatures to create the flavors that you're looking for or lack of flavors that you're looking for. So, nice. yeah. So there's that's kind of lager style yeast and there's an ale style yeast. Right. right. Yeah. That's kind of, I was, I was curious about as well. Like we've learned a lot about the, uh, <clears throat> hopefully I pronounced this right. Terror, terror, terror. terror I, yeah. Terror. Yeah. I don't know. Of, if uh, either <laughs> yeah. Come on guys. We need a better word. That's just too yeah. hard to say. Um, <laughs> That's a technical word for like the climates of different regions that which result in different profile f- flavor profiles. So we, we actually interviewed uh Lionbine's hop farm, which is a hop farm up in Pennsylvania. And uh, they kind of explained to us how like you could have a cascade hop from the East coast that tastes completely different from a cascade hop on the oh, West coast. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The, earth, the length of day, the amount of moisture, uh, soil content, I would assume. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. They all make yes. it. Yes. So I imagine like kind of what you were saying there a minute ago of 
the different like the different temperatures and things like malts that you have available to you in uh germany are completely different than you have in in england and um that probably plays a, a big factor into you know that style i would assume the uh germans are really and i don't know if you ever heard of the reinheitsgebot the german purity law uh, but they're very strict mm-hmm. about that that they only want malt tops water and yeast in their beer and uh, while it's no longer mandatory for them to follow it, they still all do follow it. Uh, it's what they consider make beer. Um, in England, they have no problems dumping a little extra sugar in there to get their gravities, to get their alcohol going. Uh, Belgium's even crazier because they'll dump pretty much anything in there. Uh, <laughs> and Americans, it's yeah, there's no rules here in the States. Uh, yeah, it's just wild, free. Wild, 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 wild West. <laughs> Yeah, that's where you end up with uh, lactose and strawberries and yep. root beer and cereal. I and saw one made with uh, hot Cheetos one time. Oh my god! Just like I don't even know. I'm not sure. Gotta yeah. stop this, guys. Gotta stop this. <laughs> it's getting out of hand. Um, I am a real traditionalist. I really do like the standard classic styles of beer. And if, if it doesn't, if it if it ex- goes outside malt hops, water, and yeast, I generally will not mess with it. But you can do so many wonderful things with just those four ingredients, and and how you you work them, and, and uh, uh, different temperatures you hit, and pressures, and, and the types of yeast that you can really do wonderful things with them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Said, uh, we have younger brewers here who do not necessarily follow that philosophy, and uh, I don't know if you can see in my background. There they are. There's some whiskey barrels back there. Yeah. Uh, I do not approve. If you got to dump a whiskey, in a, a beer in a whiskey, it's either ruining a perfectly good beer or trying to cover up something in a bad beer. Oh snap! Okay, we got some <laughs> tension. Got some tension at St. George's these days. Okay, that said, Maria's in charge of our barrel program, and she's done some really. Sometimes they go they go way overboard, and she I'm big on subtlety, and she is very subtle on what she gets out of those, and uh, really works. And it's a lot. It's very labor intensive to do that stuff. Uh, and she works it pretty hard and uh, is doing some really good things with it. So. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned the, those three main ingredients. And we, we also interviewed four. Um, water. four yeah. main ingredients. Well, can't water. water and yeast. Yeah, you can't forget, you can't forget the water. Yeah. Um, the four Which main ingredients. And we you actually know? interviewed. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, water is a really big deal. Uh, it is a big deal. I think it's just 95% of beer. It is how everything else reacts as you're going to take it through the process, the type of water you're using. So yeah. And actually on that note, do you guys, I know when we talked to uh, Jimmy at smart mouth, he basically mm-hmm. was saying that they use tap water, just water out of the tap. We actually were yep. curious about how our region's water. So here in Hampton roads, obviously being a coastal sort of uh, location, does that play into it all? Like, do you guys prefer that? Do you use source water from somewhere else? Do you treat the water in a certain way? So uh, South side and, People who are unfamiliar with it, it was the south side and, uh, and the peninsula here in Hampton Roads. And we both pretty much have the same type of water, and it's particularly soft. Um, and different styles of water, different mineral contents and salt contents of the water affect how all the other ingredients react. And so if you're doing a Czech Pilsner, you want really soft water. But if you want a London Porter, you want harder water. Um, if you want a German Pilsner, you want relatively hard water. But if uh, you want a Bach beer, with slightly alkaline water. And so because we have this really soft water, we can dope it up to uh, 
uh, duplicate whatever styles they happen to be. So uh, if we're, our porter is made with London water and we know what the, the source should be and we know what our water is and so we dump in different calciums and magnesium and, and sulfites to it to uh, uh, make it seem like we're in London brewing this beer. Uh, same That's for awesome. Pilsners uh, and uh, our Weizens. Uh, our make American Pale Ales are based on Chico, California water, which is the home of Sierra Nevada. So, well, they have really hard water, very alkaline water up there. So, so when yeah. you say hard or soft, it's it's pH level rather than like mineral content. Um, pH level and mineral. Uh, pH is generally very neutral, very seven-ish. Uh, but it's the different minerals that go into it and how concentrated they are. Okay. So, so harder hard means water, more minerals than yeah. hard water is the stuff that creates all these uh, sediments around your tap. If you've got really hard water, if you're in that area that has really hard water. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and obviously we've been learning a lot about all the ingredients that kind of go into water. So you kind of just answered that, but um, so it sounds like you source your ingredients based on the style of beer rather than just a consistent supplier or. So if, if I'm looking to do an English beer, um, I like to use English ingredients. Um, I can duplicate it using pretty much any ingredients I want. Uh, but it's so much easier just if I'm going to do an English beer, use English malts and English hops. Uh, mm. It just makes my life a lot easier. Same for German or American. Um, uh, hops are a big one or a tough one maybe to replicate. Uh, just because of the flavor uh, that comes across and the aromas that come across from the different hops. Can you talk to us about the ingredient selection process? How do you go about picking your malt hops, yeast, etc.? Uh, well, every beer, every uh, style of beer that we make has a different recipe, uh, different types of malt, different types of hops. Uh, I don't know if you're versed in all the different types that are available to us as brewers, but there's a lot. And so you have to pick out what you're looking for. Um, source, as far as sourcing it goes, uh, you have to find a reliable uh, vendor, somebody who uh, you trust that when you order something, it will come out to you good. Uh, most of them are really good, not all of them. Um, and so there are people I've been working with for 30 years that uh, uh, it's the same people. And I, when I order something or when I ask a question, and that's another one, if there's a problem or I have something I need to learn about it, uh, whether they're there to help me out. So uh, sourcing is pretty easy for me. The harder part is picking out exactly what of the hundreds of types of malt I'm going to use or uh, one of the thousand types of hops I'm going to use or the hundreds of types of yeast I'm going to use. Yeah. When when uh, you are going through that process, how how do you make those selections? Is it just trial and error? Or? Uh, I'm going to say, yeah, uh, it's based on trial and error. Uh, you go on recommendations and then uh, I have some years behind me so that I've tried a lot of the different things and found what I liked and what I didn't like. So nice. Yeah. I'd imagine like, you know, obviously with hops and with malts, there's the, just from the raw ingredients themselves, there's the aromas. And we've even heard about people chewing on the malts to get the kind of the flavor profile and understand what it might work like. And they steep it in water to get, you know, some different, um, different readings off of it, but like, how do you go about, ye like yeast is the one thing we really haven't dove into yet. Like we've talked to hop farmers, we've talked to maltsters, mm -hmm. like we haven't really talked to like yeast producers. So what does that process look like? Um, so I, I believe I shot off on a tangent a while ago about uh, 
the differences between uh, ales and when we're talking ales and lagers and, and German and English, uh, that uh, different yeasts will create different uh, esters, different tertiary flavors, or none at all, and uh, uh, that are defining for that type of beer. You have to pick a style of yeast that you like, that you've used before, or at least in my case that I've used before, that I know how it works. It might be just second nature to me that I know what I'm going for nowadays and to, to stop and think that if I had to redo it all over again, I'm not sure exactly where that would come in. At. <laughs> Does it ever, do you ever find yourself, you know, surprised, you know, finding new, new flavors coming out of the yeast that you try? No. Uh, uh, one of the things at our level is consistency and we're always looking at it. Uh, uh, not on this uh, podcast itself, but I know you and I, or AJ and I, talked about morning beers and there are a thousand known flavor components in beer. There's no, well, maybe AB has an instrument that you could pour your beer into and it tells you if it's beer or not. But other than that, you have to rely on the palate. And so you have to taste beers. And we go in first thing in the morning for all our beers uh, to make sure that they're coming across the way they're supposed to. Uh, we taste them green, we taste them finished, we taste them old, we taste the malt, we taste the hops. Uh, we're always drinking the water, uh, especially in the summertime. And so you're, you just know what it's supposed to taste like. You have an idea what's going to be adding to it or not adding to it, or how it's going to progress from a certain stage. What kind of um, tools do you use other than just your your senses? Uh, we use a hydrometer to check the gravities and a pH meter. Okay. And then you're just tracking that daily. You track that daily. Nice. And yeah, sometimes that's, that's it, the one thing. Depends where it's at. Sometimes uh, three or four times a day. If okay. you're trying to do a study on the curve, and sometimes the curves are very steep, so you got to be able to capture it in different points to see where you're going. Now, yeah, do that's... you do you see like large variances? Like, if you see, I would assume you would you would probably run into some large variances at some point um, where y your levels are jumping around. Um, if you see a uh, things that are skewing off the norm uh, from the standard, uh, it generally you'll catch it uh, with your instruments, with your measurements, long before you'll be able to taste the difference. Um, and so that we will see a something skewing off the norm and figure out why it's doing that and make sure that we correct it for the next one. So Does the... it's too far along the way. Makes sense. And that's why you would increase the, the number of times you would do the measurements. Like, does the... And the number does... of times we do our tastings, too, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, does the pH level stay pretty consistent, typically? Or, or from batch is that to batch, fluctuate? yes. Oh, definitely it fluctuates. Uh, from the beginning of a brew, from the beginning of a mash, to the end of it, toward to the beginning of a fermentation, to the end of fermentation. Uh, uh, definitely will. They continually drop. What do you do um, if you see it swaying? If you see it large variance? It, uh, it depends on where it's at and what the situation is. Uh, uh, you look and see what the cause is and, and change it. Uh, the big one, so if I have a problem with my mash pHs, I have to go back and take a look at my water and my malt to make sure I'm getting the right stuff coming in from those two that, that will affect the pH or in fermentation. Uh, how's my yeast doing? Am I using an older yeast or a fresher yeast? And I may 
explain it that way and know it'll get better or it's only going to get worse or worse worst case uh you have some kind of contamination in there uh that's creating extra acid that and then you just got to dump the yeast if not the whole beer and uh, start all over again oh wow so just scrap it then it's yep. it's done does that does so like that I happen said, usually uh we have never had to dump a beer um the uh certainly not at saint george um the um uh, but again if you monitor it and you catch it when it's if you're always looking at it and you start seeing it skew a little bit you go something's wrong why is it doing that you won't necessarily notice the difference uh taste wise initially but if you let it continue and, and we we harvest we harvest our yeast and we use it and if you use that yeast again in the next batch for instance it'll get worse and the following batch will get worse still and so once you realize you have a problem you get rid of it and start over again can you um is that like a perpetual thing you can just keep reusing the yeast um there are breweries in england that have been using the same yeast from one batch to another for several hundred years oh wow <laughs> it's amazing uh that's awesome uh-huh. uh we're not at that point uh generally you can really easily consider reusing the yeast about nine times uh without any worries at all uh, i've been known to push it like 20 times and what happens after that? Is it just the week? It, it depends. It gets a little weaker. It's, uh, it changes a little bit. It might morph or, or mutate a little bit, and uh, you'll start seeing some odd flavors coming. Well, I guess it's evolving in a way. Then, mm -hmm. or they're little different... living organisms, and what you feed them, that's how they react. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So what's the what's the process of actually harvesting them? I mean, like again, we have very limited uh, homebrew experience, but mm -hmm. you know, how do you? You stick, you... A, you stick a bucket under the tank and load it up with the yeast. So yeast, as it ferments, well, it's actually fermenting. It's being mixed up in the tank. Uh, it's creating CO2, which lifts the yeast up, and it's always floating around and moving around in that tank and, and working real hard. But as it starts slowing down, uh, the yeast that is not quite so active anymore starts dropping out. That stuff you dump. And then there's another layer when you drop the temperature a little bit that uh, tends to flocculate out at that temperature. We like that one because we'll use that the next one and it'll drop out again quicker and it makes filtering and gives you a clearer beer at the end of the day. Uh, and then you drop the temperature even more and more yeast falls out and you can still use that, but it might be a little bit harder on the next batch to filter it. Uh, but yeah, the yeast all settles in. And when I talked earlier about uh, uh, our, our fermenters, I, I don't think it was online, but uh, our fermenters have a cone on the bottom that uh, all the yeast settles in. Uh, collects at a little point at the bottom that we can harvest it off or dump it off uh, so that uh, whatever we want to do with it that's it's pretty easy to do wow so it's like you're you're draining off a portion of the fermenting beer yes and do you separate that like what whatever comes out of the bottom there you just separate that off and then you just add that to the next mm -hmm. the next beer you wow. throw that okay. the next beer uh there are other that's cases crazy. In our, all our fermenters are closed fermenters, uh, uh, really works well for it's a controlled atmosphere, uh, temperature controlled. There are other options where you can have a completely open fermenter uh, that you can actually, as the yeast, a lot of times, especially ale yeast, as they're working really hard, they float up to the top and create this beautiful crown over the top of the beer. Uh, it's really tough because it is potential for contamination is really big when you got it open. Uh, but you can just get out there with a big shovel and, and scrape stuff off the top of it and throw that in the next batch. And I've been in that oh, wow. done that. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. 
That's um, so cool. Uh, you would think that eventually they, they would get tired of like eating sugar or whatever and just like. <laughs> uh, no, they don't. As long as they got oxygen, as long as they got sugar, they will. Uh, yeast are little living organisms that only purpose in life, as far as they're concerned, is to reproduce. And to do that, they yeah. have to have energy, water, and or sugar and air, and they will just go to town all the time, forever. This is there, insane. Is there oxygen pumping into those tanks right now? Um, no, uh, we add a little bit of oxygen in the beginning just to give the yeast something to start with. But at one point, and so and when the yeast see the sugars. And the oxygen, they go into aerobic fermentation. But once the yeast is cons- or the air is consumed and, and, and used up, it goes into anaerobic fermentation, which is the part where the yeast says, oh, I'm out of oxygen. I'm going to start really building up my energy sources, which really creates beautiful alcohols and beautiful flavors also. Man, and it's infinite wisdom. Now they're just little microorganisms, but somehow we figured out how to bend them to our will to make something really kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy. I think we I think it was when we were talking to Sebastian from Epiphany Craft Malts. He was telling us about how the likelihood of the origin of beer is that you know somebody left um, what was it you know like something like water got into something and and the malts like fermented or something and that's like the origin of the beer. So it's so weird how like this was all probably some sort of like natural process way back in the beginning. <coughs> My version and, is a bag of malt got wet. And some guy was working, he was thirsty, and he dropped all fours and sucked the water off it and experienced kind of an euphoric high. It's like, cool, I'm going to call this beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's do that again. <laughs> uh, yeah. So have you heard the part where they used to consider bread the reason we stopped hunting and gathering uh, and became farmers so that we could grow our grain to make a bread? And in the last 10 years or so, they've altered that. They now determined that beer, for us to be able to make beer. Really? These are these guys. That this is the reason we stopped hunting and gathering and became farmers. And it has affected our entire civilization. It has determined what we are today. I'm just wondering, like, because yeast is in the wild somewhere, right? Oh, sure. Yep. So is grain. So Mm -hmm. there could have just been a puddle somewhere with somebody you know maybe there was a fire and grain you know died and was in the puddle and then yeast got in the puddle and just like you said thirsty some caveman was thirsty and not caveman but like <laughs> caveman you know <laughs> and uh hey, you never know he's like oh okay let's yeah that's nice let's do that more so are you aware that the oldest written document is the recipe for beer no really yeah uh some 5000 bc they have a clay tablet Showing a recipe for beer. Uh, wow. The earliest written documents for wine are like 2000 BC. Um, and uh, uh, what was it? Uh, wine drinkers tend to think, tend to say, well, that's because wine is easier to make than beer. We didn't need a recipe. It just happened. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> just fermented, <laughs> fermented fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, reason, I can see it, but and the reason we use hops nowadays is in the 1800s, uh, the in Germany the Catholic Church didn't like what people were putting into the beers to help preserve it. Hops is a natural preservative, and yeah. they did not like what people were putting into it. Some of it was poisonous or psychotropic, and they did not want their parishioners tripping. So they said hops is a really good preservative. Let's start putting hops into it. Uh, and nice. 
since and here we are today. Like... They had a lot of control. Uh, the English didn't really pick up hops till 100 years later. They kind of refused. They didn't like the idea of hops in their beer. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, obviously, we've talked a little about the origin of the IPA, you know, coming from the English, shipping it to I, to India, right, yep. mm-hmm. um, overseas. But that's interesting to know that that's not necessarily where hops, the origin of hops in beer began. It's just a nope. large mm-hmm. supply of hops within that beer so that it could make the voyage um, and be preserved. Yep. Yeah, so... That's super cool. Yeah, that's, again, something else that we learned recently was that, like, what is it about the hops that actually preserves? And apparently what I've come to gather is that it's a specific amino acid within the within the hop itself that um, does something scientific to help preserve. (laughs) Never thought biology would come in useful, huh? I know. I should have paid more attention in high school. Man, now I call my teachers up and say, you were right. I should have listened. I don't know more about beer this today. <laughs> should have, should have studied. Would you ever call back your math teacher and say, "Thanks for the algebra"? <laughs> no, my math teacher wouldn't want to talk to me today because I'm still terrible at math and yeah, even simple simple stuff I can't I can't comprehend. My phone has just turned me into a giant dummy. So, um, yeah, not that it, not that it had to work very hard to do that, but. <laughs> But anyways, kind of actually, that's kind of a good segue because what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about as we kind of come towards the end of our show here is that uh, a lot of breweries these days are startups from from guys or gals who are home brewers Mm -hmm. from from the start. Right. And then they 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 have such a passion for home brewing. They get good at it. They make beer for their friends and their family. And then their friends and family say, this is the best beer. You should do this for a living. Yeah. Even maybe they might be maybe lying. Who knows? But um, you know that's the kind of the origin of a lot of breweries, right? Even some of the larger breweries, like I think, um, of course I'm gonna New Belgium. I believe the owners of New Belgium were home brewers doing it in their basement, and then that just kind of grew and grew and grew. But then you've got folks like yourself, yourself who have have an actual education behind it, have gone and done apprenticeships overseas in different cultures and like have this true educational background and science and all this stuff behind it. Do you think there's an advantage one way or the other in terms of like competing in today's like beer culture? Um, so if you're running a larger brewery and it helps to know the science and know what's going on, uh, a lot of the little breweries, and, uh, New breweries coming out are very small, and they're having a, just having a blast. Uh, yeah, everybody brings what they have to the beer, uh, whether like me as an engineer uh, and uh, the, the uh, schooling behind me uh, to be able to do it, or uh, you're a microbiologist and you uh, you go into cellars and you get really funky stuff going on there, or you're a home brewer and you really like innovation and you like trying different stuff. Uh, the uh, everybody brings their own thing to it. And uh, that's really what's cool about today's brewing scene. There are so many different ideas out there and trying different stuff. Yeah, definitely. No, that makes perfect sense. It's kind of like, uh, you know, again, being in marketing, you have some designers, for instance, who you've just got people who have a natural proclivity to be really good at something. Um, designers particularly like you can have somebody who's gone and gotten a master's degree in in visual arts or something but then you can also have a guy who you know in his free time since he was a 12 year old 
comes home and uses Photoshop just for fun. And by the time he's 18, 19, like he's got just as much talent as somebody who's went and gone to school for the same thing. So, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like one of those, um, and we've talked to other people as well who just were like, Hey, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, learned from some of the best, like fell into it, into it sort of thing. And more and of like a passion said, for it than just somebody thinks, Oh, this would be a cool thing to do, but you don't necessarily pick up the passion that you look, that you really need to do it well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm glad you said that as well, because I was curious, like, you know, uh, you, you mentioned this is the longest job you've ever had. Uh, I think the longest job I've ever had, it was like almost five years. Reese, I'm not sure how long, what was your longest job? I'm working at it right now. I'm at four and a half years. So there you go. So what has kept you motivated for this period of time? Obviously it seems like you and Bill have a great relationship. Yep. Um, and like, what, is there anything beyond that that has kept you in interested in brewing and, um, you know, running a brewery as you are today? Um, as I said earlier, Aside from the free beer um, and a job where you can't <laughs> drink beer all day, uh, uh, I get along really good with the management here. Uh, they give me my freeway. They know I know what I'm doing and let me do it. Uh, the, I work with really good people here. Uh, the brewers we have here, Scott and Maria, uh, are both awesome brewers in their own right. And either one of them could go off and start their own brewery. I'm not advertising for them to get a job. I don't want them to leave, and I've told them that. But they both know that they could go off someplace, but they're happy here too for right now. Um, uh, we like the area. Uh, when you're a brewer, if you're going to look for a new job, generally it requires it requires a, a pack everybody up and leave Dodge kind of thing and go f- and find a new city to go work in. And we did our share of that stuff. And so yeah, that's a tough one to, to think, hey, I'm going to uh, – uh, relocate everybody here and go find someplace else to live. The uh, Generally, when you're a young brewer and a new brewer, that's how you advance. You change jobs and you go from one brewery to another. It's maybe easier nowadays because there are so many breweries that you can go across the street to get a new job versus you'd have to cross the country before to, to find another brewery looking for, for, a, for a brewer. Uh, no, I just like it. I built this place. Uh, this is my home. My wife does not like it, uh, but I spend 10, 12 hours a day here. Uh, and uh, uh, You literally built it from the ground up, right? Because we saw the news back in, I think, 2000, <laughs> Christmas yeah. Eve. Yeah. Christmas Eve, 2000, burnt to the ground. Man. But, I mean, you guys, what was the operation like back then? I mean, we saw when it started, it was a 15 BBO. We looked that up. It meant that. Mm-hmm. It was 15 barrels uh, per cycle, pretty per much. Yeah, per batch. Yeah, and and then we saw it. You know, in 2009, you were up to 7,000 barrels. Um, that's right. I think you may have that wrong. Is that uh, that's our total capacity now? Total. Okay, so, for the year. Yeah. So every batch has to go into one of these tanks behind me, and it's got to sit there until it's done fermenting. And then it's got to go to another tank and be ready for packaging and so the more of these tanks behind me you have the larger your capacity can be um, up to the point where you're working your brew house 24 hours a day but every batch wow. right now for us is 30 barrels and if we worked it around the clock or we wouldn't have to work it around the clock to fill up the tanks i have uh, uh, but our this is our capacity. where where 
uh, how many were you up to at your peak? And are you at your peak? Uh, oh, no, we never did peak on. Uh, and last year was tough. So, yeah. Uh, but it's a good time to do a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of, when you got a 20 year old plant, there's a lot of maintenance to do, a lot of things to fix up. Uh, we've been doing a lot of upgrades on our canning line. Uh, we're just actually getting the nitrogen drip in now, uh, which will be a lot of fun to play with. We can nitrogenate beer, and uh, that'll be cool. Oh, nice. When's when's that uh, When's that due? Uh, Scott's got it coming in next week. So <laughs> now Very nice. when we're actually going to go start nitrogenating beer, it's a different matter. But uh, Okay. Pretty exciting then. Yeah. Sounds Scott's like my yeah. leader on the on the canning line, and uh, he's got it under control. And he says, "Yeah, this will be kind of a cool thing to do." And uh, seventy thousand dollars later, uh, we're getting a Ooh. nitrogen. Okay. <laughs> His stuff's not cheap. <laughs> yeah, that's no joke. <laughs> it's shiny, and so you got to figure shiny. You got to pay for seventy thousand dollar <laughs> toy to play with. I guess. Uh-huh. That's cool. That's pretty awesome. Well, um, uh, I think we're. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Reese. I I just like I'm. I have one question out of curiosity. I I watched this video one time about this. Um, this guy was a cicerone and he was evaluating beers, and he mentioned that like the, and and AJ knows that I always like look at the foam, the head, right, and see mm-hmm. how consistent the bubbles are. Is that something that you look at? Is that like a is that a good gauge of of like good like a good beer? Um, it is a, not necessarily a good gauge, but it is one of the gauges. Uh, it is primarily, uh, uh, just eye appeal, a little bit of foam on the beer. Uh, the, uh, there's nothing that makes a beer in practice. When I was out at UC Davis, I was part of a study. They uh, wanted to determine whether people would notice whether foam is beer on beer or not, just by tasting it, but blind. And, uh, I thought, well, in I have a mustache in them. My mustache was even longer. and But I said, of course, I mean, you're going to notice this foam on your mustache when you're drinking it. And so yeah. they blindfolded you and they gave you a bunch of beers to try with and without. And I could not tell the difference. And, and 80% of the people could not tell if it's foam or beer or not. So it's pretty, okay. it's purely just a, a visual thing. However, it, ah. it will show that it, you got a clean glass, you got a clean beer line. Uh, we'll give you an idea how well the hops and everything else has gone together in the beer. Uh, but it's not so if they're pretty, if they're pretty uniform, then it's it's a good sign that everything was clean and mm-hmm. it was a pretty clean process. Okay, yeah. got it. Well, now I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. I know there's definitely a, a difference in. Um, I mean, you definitely see the the difference in texture between some of them that more of like that. I hate describing it this way, but some of them have like the more soapier texture where it's like the stickier sort of bubbles, but then you have the creamier sort of small, fine nitro almost bubbles. Um, so there is a thing about lace on the side of a glass. And so the yeah. really clean glass and the foam as it drops down will dry on there, adhere to it and, and stick to it and slowly dry off and, and uh, create this beautiful lace on there. And that's really a pretty thing to look at. Um, it also is dependent on the CO2 level of the beer. The more CO2 that's in there, the more it's going to slowly keep coming out and creating more and more bubbles, which creates more and more foam as you're drinking it. Uh, Okay. And then the hops and the oils and everything create this this, uh, uh, surface tension on the bubbles. And whether it's a nitrogen bubble or a CO2 bubble, depends on how fast they pop. 
whether the, the uh, differential pressures between the atmosphere and the, and the foam, what's actually yeah. inside the foam, make a difference. It's a really cool right. science. Man, so, so much. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot that that can tell you. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. I think uh, we're we're just about at our hour mark here, Andy. And uh, again, we, we really appreciate you coming on and, oh, and taking fun. the time out of your day. And uh, I know you've probably got work to get to. The uh, show must go on. And um, I, I just want to say really quick before we sign off here, I was drinking the St. George Porter this whole time. And uh, I really enjoyed that, man. Very, very good. I've I, The Porter style is one that I've come to really enjoy this year. And, and uh, this is one of the better ones that I've had recently. So so very nice there. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll be able to once and not that COVID is really kind of stopping us from visiting breweries so much. I mean, they're mostly open now. I'm sure you, mm-hmm. you guys are open, We're open to there. the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll have to make my way up there again, across the water. I'm in Virginia beach. I have to cross the water and come check you guys out in person and hopefully get to enjoy a beer with you cool. in the, in the near Let future. Let me know when you get up here. Yeah. And we'll have to get Reese to come down as well. Um, awesome. Not quite middle way, a little bit further for Reese to drive, but Reese, are you going to shame us with what you're drinking? I'm, yeah, I'm, well, I'm drinking a, a New Realm Tarts Content right now. So oh, I'm very happy. New Realm with is it pretty for... good. I like their Pilsner a lot. Tarts Content, I don't know. But uh... it was more of a Christmas <laughs> kind of beer. I okay. just uh, had it sitting there. Um, I would love to get a hold of some St. George and, uh, you know, make a, make a trip down there. I've been telling AJ for a while now. We're just, just oh. waiting for, Waiting for it. We, we'll when come. was the last time you guys yeah. actually got together? It was last year. Okay. Remember, we came down and surprised your. We surprised my my wife and his wife are friends, so we um, came down and surprised her wife for a birthday. I think. Yep. So literally, her birthday was yesterday. So literally a, a year a ago year. to the day. <laughs> yeah. It's been but a while. um. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'll definitely we'll definitely stop by and have a have a morning beer with you. How about that? That sounds great. Eight o'clock. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Well, nice. yeah. Thanks again, Andy. And uh, I think what that about does it. Reese, you want to take us out, sir? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, folks, if you're local to Hampton, Virginia, or just passing through, make sure to check out St. George Brewing Company. If you want to learn more about St. George Brewing Company and see what they are pouring. Head to stgbeer.com or check them out on Instagram at stgbeer. That's S at, I'm sorry, that's at stgbeer. Uh, thanks again, Andy. This has been very insightful and fun. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Andy. See you guys in the next one. See you.